Hello, and welcome back. So as you can probably guess already, I'm taking another break, mainly because everybody who I want to talk to is either A, on tour, B, uh, prepping for Comic-Con, or C, already on a summer vacation, which means now I'm going to take a summer vacation. And we'll be back with new episodes in Season 2 sometime in October at the latest. But stay tuned, hit the subscribe button, and with that, let's talk to Movie Cat. Enjoy. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment about the episode. And if you're watching on Spotify or listening on a traditional podcast platform, please follow, rate us five stars, and leave a review if you would be so kind. Thank you. Welcome to the What I Know You podcast, season two, episode 26. My name is Nick Rounds, and I will be your host. My next guests are the masterminds behind the Seattle Central Cinema Film Trivia event, Movie Cat Trivia. My guests create and host the event, but their love for film and media goes even deeper than that. Individually, he is a game designer and the founder of FilmWise.com, a legacy website with movie quotes and unique quizzes, while she is a professional idea person with many products and accolades in toys, games, licensing, and entertainment. When they're not busy collaborating on amazing creative products together, they're hiding snacks in their capsack and playing their next ugly sweater portrait for Christmas. Brian Assetti. Wait, damn it. <laughs> oh, you're so good. You know what? You're, you're good now. Now hey, you're Brian Assetti and Jessica Kerr. Brian Assetti. If, if one of us was going to change their name, it'd be me. So why not? We talked about doing a Kirk Setti last time. So we just say the Kirk Settis. Yeah, there you go. Jessica Setti and Brian Kirk. Wait, I know you. How are you today? <laughs> good. How are you doing? I'm good. Now that I've un unflubbed your names. <laughs> um, thank you for joining joining me on my podcast. Uh, I, I want to dig into all the amazing things that you've done both individually and together because uh, I love Movie Cat Trivia Night, um, but you also have individually lead creative and awesome lives. And I'm all about nerding out with fellow designers and creatives. So, uh, And to start, the thing that I always love to dig into is what turned my guests into the nerds that they are today. And to that end, nerds, uh, a question for both of you. What movies or moments turned you into film geeks? Mm. Wow. I mean, I, I can say I mean, which I have ones. Couple, I, have, I have a quintessential one because when I look back on uh, all of my childhood nostalgia, like we were moving out of a house and I found all these old VHS tapes and I had put a title on them with nail polish like, like you did when you were a kid <laughs> of the 80s. And my collection, um, I was 12 years old, and one of my favorite movies in my collection was Roger, Roger and Me. <laughs> Roger and Me being the McDonald's ripoff of... Uh, no, that's, no, that's, that's Mac, Mac and Me. That's, Sorry. Yeah, that's Damn, Mac I take that back. I also yeah. love, no, the Michael Moore documentary, Roger and Me, about Flint, Michigan, uh, and the car industry. But I was like good. 11 or 12 years old. <laughs> Me, younger? Yeah. It was... It was my, uh, what is it? My mother is, this, uh, my stepmother is an alien, mermaids, and Roger and me. Mm, my stepmother an alien is an alien. It's such an amazing movie. Such yeah. a what about so you, that, Brian? Yeah. Oh, well, I, you know, I grew up, I, I, my first memories of movies were watching Creature Feature and stuff like that on TV late night. As far as a cinematic, I mean, I was 10 when Star Wars came out, and there will be nothing that matches that ever as far as going into a, a theater and just walking out, just my mind was blown. And that was, I mean, so it's such an easy one to say Star Wars, but it was for me. And then after that was Raiders of the Lost Ark, same idea. And I never had anything close to that, really, until, and again, these are all the easiest movies. I feel kind of lame, but Pulp Fiction was probably the first movie I saw twice in the theater since I was a kid. And again, something new just blew me away. But those are the main moments I remember. Nice. I mean, I remember I remember seeing as a little kid 10 and be like, ah, naked women. It's great. <laughs> you know, or Animal House when I was about the same age, but really loving movies were, were those moments. Those were formative. Those were formative. Formative for sure, movies. But, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, Jess, of the movies that you listed, like, uh, is there anyone that like really made you realize like, wow, I'm, I'm a huge, huge film geek? Um, I think really the moment that I realized that I think was the when I watched Goodfellas for the first time. And I was pretty young when I watched it. Did that come out? Is it like 93? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Ballpark. Yeah. So I was, I think I was like 14, 15 or so when I saw that. And I, I remember Goodfellas is the first movie that blew my mind. And, um, I was excited about it from a cinematic perspective. And then after that, I would say as I, as I got older, there were certain movies like, um, Baraka. I know it's, it's a little pretentious, but (laughs) man, I, I loved Baraka and, um, an angel at my table was another one. Uh, I'm trying to think. I love train spotting. Um, yeah, these these are all kind of films that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, for me, it was the '90s. Really, I mean, I loved '70s '70s movies growing up. I think there's '70s was a great decade for movies, right? And and I have memories of going to the theater to see Jaws, which was pretty amazing and scared the crap out of me. And Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was so new and weird. Um, and I feel like the 80s was all fluff. Or, I mean, I know there's good movies, but... 1989 the, is the... Oh, that's oh, your year. But anyway, just, the 90s brought it <laughs> back with all the... With the Coens, with Coen Brothers and Tarantino. And just, I, I thought that there was a, a big resurgence in filmmaking. And I became back in the movies at that time. I remembered my number one most formative <laughs> movie because it was a 1989 movie. And that, I think that was like a big year for me for movies because I was really starting to discover cinema and getting into it. And I was like, I'm different than my friends because <laughs> nobody wants to sit here and repeat all the words with Heathers. Me. And that was Heathers. <laughs> and Heathers was a movie I, I mean, I've seen that movie I don't know, a hundred times. And I would invite my friends over and I'd be like, do you want to come over and watch Heather's? And then I would repeat all the words and um, stress all my friends out. But I think that's the moment <laughs> I got really passionate. Okay. For and, a movie. And, and not to draw this question out too much, but when I was in high school, I think I was a junior, we had a film as lit class. And it, all it was, was we would go sit in there, watch movies. It would usually take two days to watch a movie and then we talk about it. And, and it really did help. Like we went through a, a lot of Hitchcock movies, things like Das Boot. And they, but they really, you know, just hearing the instructor or the teacher talk about them really helped. And uh, I think that was big for me too. I just remembered one more thing. I'm so sorry. This is just, you're like. How, how dare you? How dare you oh, be guessing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of our show. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Bye, everybody. Tip your waitress. So another one that I remembered, um, my, you know, obviously ex-boyfriend at the time uh, was, um, yeah, I had an ex-boyfriend. I'm really sorry. Um, He was a student at UW and at UW, the classes were so big, you know, teacher wouldn't know when if the students were there. And so he was taking a Hitchcock class and I basically, you know, took that whole class without being a student and just sat in on that class. Um, and I Same loved thing. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think I've just always been a movie geek. Yeah. There was yeah. something just about movies. I also loved about the same time. Like when I, when I was going to college or graduating, I loved watching old Disney movies, not necessarily for the movie itself, but going frame by frame and just looking at the art and kind of marveling at it. And so there was a time, like when I moved back to back home after college, <clears throat> before I got a job, I was just watching movies and dissecting them and really enjoying them. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, uh, I do remember one more thing. I'm so sorry. And then we'll move on. I'm I done. Swear. I'm done. Right. I'm so sorry. This is the last thing. So when I was a kid, I had a VHS, I had a recorder, you know, and I was obsessed <clears throat> with it. I filmed everything. And I would, you know, have my friends over and I did um, a talk show as Dee Dee Herman, Pee Wee Herman's sister. And yeah, was like (laughs) making short films, was super into Twin Peaks and had like these really, I have one where I'm just filming into a box of combos with like Angelo Badalamenti's soundtrack in the background (laughs) and it, yeah, so I don't know. Just always been. Damn, I thought of one more, but I'm not going to say. It. I thought of one more, but it can go yeah. un- unspoken. Yeah, we can. We're good. Incredible. Jess, you kind of already alluded to it or touched on a little bit um, that 
uh, motion pictures is something that's important uh, to, to your family, specifically because your dad is Joe Assetti, uh, a legendary TV sports director, and among capturing many important sports events, including Thrilla and Manila, um, and also being really intentional about his shots and playing up the drama of just something as simple as baseball. Um, so knowing that's who your dad was, uh, what was your relationship like in regard to your shared passion about motion pictures together? Well, uh, you know, I grew up in a mobile truck, right? So when, <laughs> when you're doing live sports, the environment is, it's a mobile mobile truck unit and uh, the director is in there, you know, calling out all the different cameras and all the different shots. And that was my dad. And so, you know, I grew up, I grew up in those trucks. Like I grew up <laughs> in those trucks. I grew up on the sidelines um, and just watching him. And I do think, noticing that he would really like focus on the drama and focus on the players and maybe go left when another director would go right. And, you know, instead of focusing on all the action, he really um, would emphasize like close-ups of players' faces and the emotional aspect of sports. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's why he was so good at what he did. Well, and wasn't, wasn't he asked to direct Peggy Sue got married. Yeah. <laughs> but he yeah. didn't want to do movies. I mean, he loves movies as well, but he didn't, he was, he felt he was a live director more than a. Yeah. But he did direct a, the theatrical uh, version of Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> yeah. Pirates in, in Pen, of Pirates Penzance. Pirates of Penzance is yeah. an opera type thing, right? Yeah. And then uh, he also directed the Us, Us Festival. Festival was a big one. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think, you know, I've heard all sorts of stories about how he revolutionized editing um, uh, and he had a really big hand in uh, the formation of sports as like an emotional yeah, thing as, to watch. You know, just um, to show how much of an effect he had when he passed away 10, 11 years ago, whatever it is, they stopped the uh, championship. It wasn't the World Series, but it was the series before that. You know, it was the, it was the uh, championship series between I don't know St. Louis and Soviet. But they stopped that that to give him a moment of silence and stuff, which is pretty amazing. They don't do that for many people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I. Yeah, just through doing my research and just seeing like all the things that your dad was responsible for, I've just really kind of blown away because that. Being a sports director, it seems like a very invisible job where you don't really think that there's a lot of intention involved with that. But like how many times have you watched a baseball game and to everything you just alluded to of like, you know, playing up the drama of players faces and knowing when to cut and stuff like that. Like the fact that your dad clued into that and realized that like there is drama within just sports baseball and like and it's, uh, you know, as fellow game designers <laughs> to <nerd out> for <laughs> that, uh, and not cut you off. <laughs> Through, through pressing the wrong button um it's 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 interesting to view it through the lens of like a like you know uh people that enjoy baseball and know the rules and uh, the game of baseball and be like okay what do i really care about at this moment and like what do i what am i really excited for like am i worrying about like the sweat beating off the pitcher's brow because he's worried about the next pitch that he's going to go to yeah. like really playing up the drama of like, I know exactly what's, what's going on in that player's head. So I think it's fascinating that it's something we kind of take for granted now, even today, we still kind of take it for granted and don't re really realize that like the people that are holding the cameras and directing the shots and everything in the editing have as much importance to how cool a game is as the players themselves. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you watch an old, like every once in a while, if you're, I don't know, I was at the doctor's office uh, a couple months ago and I saw an old game from the seventies baseball game. And it's, and it was, so they were playing the whole telecast. It's so different now. I mean, it's, yeah. it is so different than it used to be. Yeah. And I think that one more was just really quick. Interesting thing about him is I think his knowledge of sports was so deep and he knew everything so well. Um, you know, he was obsessed with sports. And so I think at a base level to be able to really, capture the emotion you have to anticipate everything in advance right because it's a whole other level to to not only know what shot is going to happen when you're dealing with nine cameras at one time but then to know um the uh relationships yeah. and the politics and everything going on between the players and you know the who coaches, to focus on the, fans, the coaches yeah. exactly so so i think it was a, a like a 
almost an encyclopedia type <laughs> knowledge of sports first. And then also a love for art. My, my dad was a fine artist and, um, you know, went to college for art. So I think he was combining those two loves. That's awesome. And speaking of combining loves, uh, Brian, as you alluded to, you've, you had a healthy childhood of uh, lots of amazing cinematic experiences. And uh, because of that, you're kind of inspired to start filmwise.com um, in 1999 as a simple trivia quiz website that kind of spun out into many more things after that. Uh, so can you kind of walk me through all the different things that have happened to you <laughs> since starting filmwise.com? You know, the like questions. It's funny, you know, the, the whole, I did start it in 99, but my whole idea was to just create a, um, a DVD review site so I could get, eventually get free DVDs sent to me. And what I wanted to do was, I'm a graphic designer, you know, I went to school for graphic design and that time was working as a graphic designer. And uh, I wanted to make it very graphic, like I'd have little things with thought bubbles. And long story short, I was messing with thing, something and I, I accidentally copied the wrong layer over somebody in a screenshot, it was from swingers and it made them look like they were invisible because the background was covering their heads. Right. And so I just kind of filled that in, you know, and, and that's, that's what started, turned it into a trivia site. Once I, I realized these things that I call invisibles were fun to play. I, you know, rec you know, identify the movie without the people without their uh, skin, basically it's just their floating clothes. Right. Uh, that's what turned it into film wise. And I didn't launch until 2001 because I was trying, I was creating content. And then 2001 and 2002 was kind of a whirlwind. Um, I remember I launched on Oscar night, 2001. And um, I had a counter on the site and, you know, at the end of Oscar night, there was, I think I had 15 hits and they were all me. Right. And then the next day, or maybe the day after I, all of a sudden it was up to something like 2000 or something like that. And then I walked across the street to 7-Eleven and got a San Francisco Chronicle. And there was there was a picture of my website. And they had picked it up as like their some website of the day. Then uh, Yahoo picked it up as their site of the day and then site of the week. And that was what spun it out of control. Um, and it led to a couple of years of a lot of radio interviews, magazine interviews. I was the uh, William Morris agency came to represent me. So they were representing me. They still represent you. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, they kind of do. Oh, that's a funny story. But, um, yeah. and it was going to, it was for two years, about two or three years, going to LA meeting with producers about possibly doing a game show, uh, book, book publishers. We had a book deal that fell apart at the last moment. The problem was everything fell apart because of the rights, the legal issues involved with, it was all money. So nothing really came of it, but it was really fun. It was a really fun few years. Your whole life came. It did. It. And then, and then I do think about like, it's that butterfly effect thing where, you know, because of a misplaced paste, I have my life here in Seattle and my wife and everything, you know, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, what she was talking about, the William Morris agency still representing me. There's another Brian Kirk. He directs a lot of the Game of Thrones episodes, and he's directed movies. And so every once in a while I get a call. I'm, I got one from Dennis Quaid. He wanted to be in my new project and left me a message. And I've gotten it from a few people that, uh, you know, they go through the William Morris agency and find my name. And we still haven't, like, I still want somebody to go, oh, hey, you want to meet me? That's great. You know, I'm up in Seattle. Come up this weekend and just play dumb. But but I always call, <laughs> I always call him back and tell him it's the wrong one. And, That's amazing. And the reason why I said his life is because of it, because actually um, Screen Life. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Screen Life ended up bringing you up here. Correct. To so in, in, in yeah. 2001, Screen Life was starting uh, Seen It, the DVD trivia game. They saw my website, um, liked the content I was making. So I did work for them for, I want to say about a year, or yeah, about two years, I think, from California. And then in 2003, when they were launching, uh, they brought me up to Seattle. I was their director of content and worked there for the next six years up here. So, And that's where we met. And that's where we met. I was just gonna say, and Jess, you you work for Cenit as well for a while, quite a while. And for a little yeah. short little blip, yeah. <laughs> when Jess started, the first company, the first all hands meeting we had was the first one we had where it was like things aren't good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Uh, yeah, you're like, well, no bonuses. Yeah. It was it was a bad meeting. Yeah, yeah it we had so. all up until then had been rah rah and you know good good numbers and everything. So what? Yeah, you lasted about four or five months. Yeah, like that. it yeah. was it was pretty short lived. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got laid off with a bunch of people, but we met. Yeah, you yeah. met. Yeah, and that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I do want to dig into scene a little bit later. Actually, you know what? Uh, I guess can you talk to me about some of the things that you did for scene specifically, and like some of the challenges that you had to deal you deal with, um, and also like from your work of doing film wise and making quizzes and stuff like that, like how did that directly apply to seeing it? And honestly, for both of you in terms of just like working on seeing it, seeing it, like what kind of challenges did you face even in that short amount of time? Yeah. So it was interesting, you know, because of film wise, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop doing my website. Um, I wanted to keep that going and they were really responsive to that. And, but I gave them, Basically, I said, you know, all the content I'm producing, you can use as well, as long as I can use them and I own them basically for life. And they were they were good with that. Um, the, the thing that's in, uh, the tough part about seeing it as opposed to film wise, film wise, I can do whatever I want. And, and to be honest with you, I expected a cease and desist within months after I went live, especially when it got popular. And then that never happened. And all the, I started hearing from all the studios, but it was all to do promo, you know, promos with them, but CNET doesn't have that luxury. So when you're doing puzzles for CNET, whether it's invisibles or just clips that you have a question about, everything has to be approved by the studios, licensed to the studios, the stars have to clear. It's a, and that's ultimately, I think what was the doom of CNET is just, it was too expensive, too hard to keep it going. Yeah, there's film wise, <laughs> my latest invisibles quiz. Yeah, I'm just, I was meant to bring it up earlier, but I didn't want to cut you off. But yeah, I just wanted to show an example of what Invisibles looks like. So, but um, so we did, you know, we seen it. Most of the, or a lot of the puzzle types that were in Seen It were invented by me through film wise. Um, and so we did, you know, we used Invisibles. We used, I don't know, What's Missing Puzzle. I did used to do contests, and those would be pretty creative. And we took a lot of that stuff and put it in the Seen It. And the thing, you know, we just had to, it's all we'd have to find out what movies we could use first, what actors could clear and, you know, go after them that way, which was a real, that was the biggest challenge faced by seeing it for sure. Clear all the music, any clip. So like a lot of times people see a, a clip from a movie in scene it and they're like, why didn't you use this other clip? And it's like, well, the other clip had 10 people in it that we'd have to clear and music. And this clip had two people talking and no music, you know, where we just, we were able to get that clip and we would have never gotten the other clip. And that's something, you know, as a, as a consumer, I wouldn't know, but behind the scenes now I know. Yeah. The, the second you get involved in licensing and rights, that's everything that's firing through your head of like, this costs money, this costs money. This is yep. a different release. This is a different release. Yeah. And even if it's not the money, it's just that 10 people, if we go after, we're not going to hear from five of them. You know, uh, we're lucky if we send a clip with two people, we're lucky if we hear back from them both, you know, so you, have, you learn what to look for. You have less control. You know, anytime you're creating a product where you have a specific timeline, it has to be on the shelf. You can't miss that date. Um, you know, anything that complicates that process and anything out of your control can be pretty stressful. And yeah. approval. Yeah, we learned that through things. Funko Games as well. So. <laughs> it's just if you're doing any any product, you know that that is a licensed product. It's it's something you always have to yeah. juggle. In fact, yeah. that's actually why Movie Cat was born. Is um, I'd worked at Seen It or Screen Life for six or seven years, and I wanted to start something on my own that I didn't have to worry about clearing. So Jess and I, well, you didn't exactly quit at that moment, but I, I quit with a friend of mine, and we started an app company. And I, I started doing uh, Movie Cat illustrations because I knew I could do that without having to clear it from the studios. So that was the whole reason I did that. <laughs> there was quite a bit. <clears throat> um, and just doing my research, uh, various iterations, in addition to movie cat, but other things um, like uh, trivia deathmatch and also like um, Bumble Cat games and other stuff like that. Can you kind of walk me through like those other tertiary um, uh, products? Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we 
we, I think together, there was about five years, maybe more, five, five or so years where we were um, six, yeah. making a real effort to build an app empire. <laughs> and uh, we had several different companies and some of them were just like trivia games where we could really crank them out. We had because, a template and it was just multiple yeah, choice questions like on crank, Hunger Games. Yeah, whatever, like whatever you know. hot property would come out, we would um, create a trivia app for it. And, you know, we got to a point where there was like 60 of those on both uh, the Apple and the Android market at one time. And those were doing really well. And then we had some apps that were more of the premium type apps uh and the one that i'm really proud of uh, i think i think we're both really proud of, of uh is trivia deathmatch so the whole concept behind that app um and at that time was trivia deathmatch with ken jennings um you know we had met ken because brian had to replace him in a trivia league which is well, not daunting at all <laughs> for one of the games for well that's not when we met him that's when i didn't meet him i oh, met yeah. his other teammates and i was replacing ken jennings on a trivia yeah. team that had also a rocket scientist and a writer for a crossword puzzle no writer for new york times and all that <laughs> but it was um it was a a year or so later after that when one of the people that was on my team he was a friend of Ken's. He, they came to the movie Cat Trivia Night, yeah. and we met Ken that And we night. met Ken, and, and we thought, um, hey, we should make an app where we work with Ken. And the whole concept is uh, we write a series of questions, and then you know we lock Ken in a room and have him answer everything and essentially create an AI out of him and uh, so that the consumer or person purchasing the app can play against him. Yeah, and, so while you're playing against him, you actually see his progress. Yeah, and it's, so you it's, see, it's really what he did, you know. Like if you got it right and, or wrong, um, how how long it took him to answer a question, et cetera. And then you get to essentially feel like you're playing against him in real time. And then, so now we're actually in the midst right now of relaunching that app. Um, but not only can you play against Ken, but you're going to be able to play against like you know, other people in other specialties like cooking or sports or movies music. or music or whatever it is. And so that's that's something that we're relaunching. And it's a little funny because we've been out of apps for a <laughs> while um, and we're trying to get back into it. And there were some other ones like Word Monster was a really good yeah. word game app. Um, we had one and Bumblecat Games. We had like the Great Tickle Challenge, which was like a tickling app for kids. I mean, yeah. we made a lot. Oh, Inspirator. That was with the Beta <laughs> Society. Inspirator was just like an app that would generate random pictures and, and words, sounds and words and, and ideas to like get you inspired and get you thinking creatively. Um, yeah, we, we made a lot of apps. But once we got real jobs, we couldn't keep up with the uh, the code on them all. Yeah. And so after a couple of years, Apple took them all down because they were out of date. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But Praise Frenzy. Oh, wait, Praise Frenzy, Frenzy, right? That's still up. <laughs> yeah, we did kind we of a, a, couple letters a still catchphrase on the, on the style store. game. And uh, that was kind of popular and it's it's up there still. But yeah. no movie cat, just... We'd love to someday launch Movie Cat again. It's just it would. There's so many graphics and things involved. It's going to take a lot of work yeah. and money to do that. So we'll see. But so we're starting with Trivia Deathmatch and yep. maybe go from there. <laughs> That's really exciting. Um, but Movie Cat exists uh, in its physical form uh, at the Seattle Center Cinema, where, where you host it. Um, when did you start Movie Cat? Um, not just the game, but specifically the live version of it. Um, and what has been your experience in doing it uh, as like a monthly thing at the at the Seattle Central? So, I mean, it was 10 years ago, right? It was, it was 2011, or January 2011. And yes. we had, Movie Cat was out as an app and we were working on Movie Cat 2. And so the drawings take a while. And so, you know, as a way, I know it was Jess's idea. She's like, why don't, why don't we start doing trivia there and i'm like it, to me that was such a foreign thing like what we'd host it well i was the programmer yeah you were there. programmer director yeah, yeah so yeah. i was the film programmer there so i think it was kind of a natural fit right yeah so i kind of used it as a way to force me to do the drawings for the app because every, every we were doing it every month and every month i would have a movie cat round that featured oh 12 of the new drawings i had done so it was a good way to get me to do those drawings 
and then we just kept doing it and it, yeah. it just built. I mean, yeah, it was every yeah. month we do it for the most part. Yeah. For a little while we were doing kind of a, after a couple of years, we started doing a kind of a two months where we would host Then We, a lot of people, some of the uh, regulars like to guest host. So we would do two months of us, then a month of a uh, guest host, but we've actually, since we've come back last year, we've only yeah. missed once, I think where we had a guest host. So we're doing it every month again. Awesome. Yeah. And the, the funny thing about being part of movie cat is that there's a lot of regulars there. The, the crusty jugglers are my sworn enemies because they're usually uh, some of the top contenders, but um, it is a lot of fun. And uh, if you're, if you're a film nerd, like absolutely, and you're visiting Seattle or you live in Seattle and you didn't know about movie cat, please, please go to movie cat. You'll have an awesome time. Um, but we'll plug it, plug it again at the end as well. Of course. <laughs> That's just me giving my own personal yeah. review. Of I think it. we try to mix it up with a lot of audio visual stuff and, you know, keep it fun. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so to make a complete left turn <laughs> and go back to something I name dropped in the intro, Jess. Uh, so we touched on your dad, but we also can touch on your mom and Capsack. Yes. Specifically, your mom is a person who originally created Capsack um, along with you, and now it's part of your sandwich cat apparel line. <laughs> yeah. um, can you talk? Can you talk about how living with an in in inventor was a was another early aspect of your life? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm showing the Capsack really quick. The fanny pack for this your is head. The fanny pack for your head, and the whole thing is it folds into itself. So it's a hat, and then it's a pouch. Um, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> So yeah, I, you know, um, growing up, uh, my, my mom always had so many ideas and so many different unique jobs. Uh, the one that just popped in my head right now is she used to be a door-to-door -door yogurt salesman, saleswoman for um, a company called Yo Farm and. Uh, we had so much strawberry yogurt in the house. I still actually kind of eat strawberry yogurt until this day. Um, and, you know, I just, I guess I watched her. She was always trying to hustle and do her own thing and, you know, have her be an independent businesswoman. Um, and she was always creating things. And a couple I have here actually to show. So this is this is the box mate, which is the, you can see the personal cassette holder. Um, perfect for your personal stereo or car. Uh, and <laughs> basically instructions on how to use it. Yeah. It was great. just, it was just at the time, you know, people used to have beat boxes and uh, back when people listen to tapes and you would just put these on the back <laughs> of the stereo and put all your tapes in there and then CDs were invented. And it didn't <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, the cap sack, the fanny pack for your head. So I think, uh, I think some people are just wired that way. And, uh, she certainly is, is wired in that way. And, and yes, I am, I'm wired in that way as well. Um, and I, I do, I just really think it's like a genetic thing. Cause I'm constantly, um, thinking of new ideas and excited to try new things so much so that, um, sometimes I have a hard time starting on things cause I have so many ideas and I have to really keep things focused. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was, I was, you know, she would take me to her, um, like trade shows where we would do all these kind of fashion trade shows. And I would be this little kid being like, would you like a capsack? And they're like, no kid. Um, <laughs> I, be, I became that kid years later. For yeah. Me. Then yeah. he worked. Like, hey, you want a capsack? Yeah. <laughs> He worked did, with me at made the trade a standee shows. out of me. I made a stand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have that in other room. But too. I also yeah. think it's funny because, like, with the cap sacks, her mom had thousands of them made in the early nineties, late eighties, late eighties, yeah. and, and you know, there was no internet and there was no way for her to sell them. So when I met Jess, this was in two thousand six. The first time I went to her house, there it's a big house in Woodenville. It was, and the whole main hallway was just boxes of cap sacks and they were there for years they were there and, for like until 10, one day you know when the, then you know now just is like it was, i think i remember kind of the one day it was like it was just sort of like click hold on a sec there's an internet now i'm gonna sell these cap sacks and then you started the capsack.com you know you yeah. the website and and then they sold all the way through and 
now they have you know they had to manufacture more and keep going and now it just grows and grows yeah. and and now i'm making you know my own and uh products and things that i'm adding to the brand as well and kind of continuing that family business and you can access that stuff on sandwichcat.com is that correct yes you got it <laughs> shameless plug well well researched <laughs> i love it i try um so Brian, you, you, you kind of poked it fun of yourself earlier by saying that you got real jobs, but I disagree. I think you've always had a real job. It's just, as Jess alluded to, you're always hustling. Um, so you both have been involved in board games, uh, specifically in, with entertainment properties like the Home Alone board game, which I absolutely love. Uh, and I actually won from Movie Cat. Thank you. Oh, um, did you really? Awesome. Yes, I did. Yes. Well, thanks to Wheeler, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, since you both have worked on board games um, and I'm a game designer, uh, so this is really just like a personal question of like, let's nerd out for a little bit. Uh, can you walk the audience through the creative process of taking a known property and adopting it to a gamified format? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if we should actually do it the way that we would do it in real life. Okay, okay. I can well, start do, with do the Home business Alone. deal. Yeah, do Home, well, Alone. Because, well, Home Alone. Actually, from Bob a, Ross. Okay. Home Alone. From a game design standpoint, Home Alone was an interesting process for me. So for me, I didn't have as much okay. to do on the front end of well, but Bob Ross. But Bob I can Ross. talk about it. We'll talk about it as if <laughs> as if I did. Um, Whatever way it, you want to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'll 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 throw. Yeah, usually so, I'm the second part of the process. Yeah, so the Jess first is the first part. The first part of the process, um, I think, is as a studio, you know, and as a publisher, you're you're trying to understand. Okay, what what kind of game do do people want to play right now? And from a licensing from standpoint a licensing and a game, just and, a game standpoint. Yeah, and like our, you know, our party games trending again, that kind of thing where you are looking at the market and trying to decide where where is there room for something uh, different or new or where is it saturated, et cetera. And so I think collectively, you know, thinking about the different licenses and um, in the case of Home Alone, you know, that's a, a, a big studio that has Home Alone. So, you know, we had those relationships and it's really just um, about the acquisition of that license and working with uh, the licensor on the parameters, what can and cannot be done, you know, who can be shown, right. et cetera. What, what assets would we have? What assets it? we have at the start. Um, and then, you know, he can go into the game design aspect and then I would know more about the marketing aspect, but I think you want to talk <laughs> game design. So I'll throw it to Brian. So Home Alone was an interesting one, and it's it's one that I'm pretty proud of, because uh, I was not I'm I'm not a Home Alone person. I didn't grow up. I'm too old for it, and so I wasn't thrilled about getting being assigned it. And on top of it, our my boss want had this grand idea um, to have a box that that lit up that had real Christmas lights on it, and which was going to be really expensive. So when I was told to design this game. I was told that I had enough money to get, because we always have to think about the cogs, how much are, is everything that's in a game costs money, right? I was allowed to have a, a deck of 60 cards and that was it. Not a die, not a token, not a piece of cardboard, nothing. I could put 60 cards in the game. So I created a game with 60 cards and it worked and I was very happy with it. And then at the end, they decided not to do the light box. So all of a sudden it was like, Hey, now you've got to die. You've got money for this. And it's like, well, the, the game's done. We found a way to, to put a die in there and a couple of game placards, which help. I think they are, they're fine for the game. But the game itself is 60 cards, or I don't know exactly the number. but And I actually really like it, too. It's a great so. game. I love it, too. It's one of my favorite games you've ever made. Yeah, okay. So. I yeah. mean, I don't like all of my games that much. There's a handful of them that I do like to play, and that's one of them. Yes. You don't like all your games. I don't like all of them, no. <laughs> oh, you mean you don't like your other games as much as you like yes. Home Alone? Okay. No, I can't think of the way. That okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so. That's kind of that was the process in that one. But every every, I mean, every game and every license is different. What you usually start out. Let's take a game like Back to the Future, where we have no real limitation. I mean, obviously, there's a limitation on Cox, but it's going to be a signature game. It's a big game. It's going to have a board, a lot of parts. What we do as a team, Prospero Hall, what we would do is get together and talk about the license. We really would talk about the license and what, you know, what fans want with it, um, which, you know, that's one thing that 
we were great as a whole company, as a group doing. It's not just kind of, you know, doing a cash grab on a game. We would, we would all, you know, like Back to the Future is one that I did grow up on. So I was really happy to design that. And But we get together as a team and talk about all the things that should be in this game. And there's with Back to the Future, there's different ways we could go. We could have the whole trilogy in there, which is how we started designing it. It was going to be the whole trilogy. Then when we got down to it, we we just thought the the stuff we were doing with that took place in Hill Valley in 19 in 1955 was the best part about it. So we just but that could have gone either way. But so we ended up just setting the game in Hill Valley. Uh, at the same time, there's another game came out that did it the other way. You know this, but but the main thing is to just talk about what fans who the true you know Back to the Future has a lot of fans hardcore fans what do they want to see in this game and and so we do that and 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 then you know a lot of times we might have some game mechanics already figured out that we want to work into it sometimes the the game mechanics are fully born by what you know we figure the game should be so and it's a long process a lot of testing then yeah well and it's also you know when when you're when you're working with a license obviously the person that is buying that game is going to have an affinity for that license. They're going to be excited about that license. So I think a lot of the time it's about honoring that license and, but making it a fresh experience. Um, and I feel like, I feel like back to the future does that. Cause you feel yeah. like you're immersed in the world and jaws really does that where you're like very yeah, much yeah. immersed in that world. But, um, but you're having a totally different right. experience. Yeah. We we really like to concentrate on thematic but there are some game companies that when they're doing licensed game, they concentrate either so much on the thematics, they don't make a good game out of it. You know, we, we want to do both. We want to, we definitely have, I mean, I talk about it like I'm still there, uh, but they are still doing it. And, you know, <laughs> creating games that not only, we really like to do the thematic part of the game to, to make sure the fans love it, but also concentrate on a game that somebody who wasn't necessarily a fan or had never seen the movie would enjoy playing as well. You mentioned um, you mentioned Bob Ross as well, um, and having to deal with that. Well, that was an interesting one. That was you. Yeah. So when you were like, you know, tell us a moment. I, I think that one for me is more of a of a pride moment. Sure. Well, that's me. that yeah. kind of made our studio. I mean, that took our studio in a different direction. I, I well, and Hogwarts. Hogwarts. Um, yeah. There were two games. I think that this one and um, Hogwarts, which which I did not design. And this one, you know, when I say I'm, I'm proud of it, it's more from a business perspective. Right. So, you know, um, we basically, uh, it was getting in touch, thought, okay, let's do something. What could be something really unique? At the time, nobody had really done anything with Bob Ross. Right, now um, you see him everywhere. But now it's everywhere. But at the time, it was really fresh. And, you know, part of my job was to kind of... Um, you know, part of it was pretty creative and concepting what, maybe what license can we do that would be unusual or what approach would be unusual. Um, and, you know, I, I basically optioned that license and kind of put together a package uh, and, you know, we took it to different publishers because at that time we were still B2B as first present creative. Um, and so, you know, just kind of putting that deal together and, um, essentially I, I don't want to say it was my idea, but I think it was, it, it was it? my idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, um, I think you can say that. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. And I remember I'm first like, hearing the idea and I'm not as quick to get that an idea is good. And I was like, really? <laughs> but by the time we were designing the game, I was excited about it. And I was like, yeah, this is that people are going to love this. This is going to be big. But at the time it wouldn't. She first brought it up. And was like, oh, that's one of those crazy ideas, but yeah. But then you made the game out of it. Well, so yes, I that's, was. That's the one where I think us as a unit, uh, that one. Right, right, is, right, right. I have a lot of pride because yeah. I feel like together we made it what it was. Yeah. But I, I wasn't the first designer on that. It was given to actually the person that designed Hogwarts Battle, and he came up with some stuff that was actually really interesting, but it was way too complex. You know, when you because that's another thing. you've got to look at what the license is, who's going to buy it. So I, they, we ended up starting over and I took over and just really made a, you know, I'm not, it's a, it, it's a dumbed down game in the sense that it's um, a very lightweight family game, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a decent game, but it, it is more 
tailored to the crowd that might buy it than this other game was. It's which, just more accessible to yeah, newer yeah. gamers. Yeah. Yeah. Like with, with Home Alone, we're not going to make some really big, big strategy game out of it. People want to buy it for Christmas and bring it out at Christmas. And thankfully, I think we also made a game that they're kind of surprised that it is actually fun to play anytime. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say a big trapping of people falling in their faces with game design around board games, especially not realizing who your core audience is. If you have a really accessible and well-known casual thing like Home Alone or Bob Ross, as you alluded to, the cognitive overhead needed for like, okay, how do I play this game? Do I Can I understand this in like a minute or less? Yeah, right. Or can I, can I have a game rule Sherpa, even if I'm drunk, <laughs> Yeah, who can walk me through this quickly, but I still won't lose them. And I'll tell you, you know, both Home Alone and Bob Ross have a rule book that for people that aren't gamers, it's a little intimidating. And some people, I don't think, have kind of bothered to learn it. But that's why we make videos. True. And it just, those are the types of games where when you have somebody that knows how to play teach you, it's really, you know, you pick it up. It's not nearly as hard as a rule book makes it look. But, and rules are hard to write. Trust me. Oh, yes. Now you, you know <laughs> yeah. all about it, too. I, I know I know very, very well. But yeah, it's it's always funny because it's like, the, I think the two my two favorite use cases of like, okay, how are we going to get through the, the rules part? It's like, if you explain this to a six-year-old, will they get it? And then also, <laughs> if you're hammered drunk and you've never read these rules before, would you still be able to know how to play the game? <laughs> and I don't know which, which is like the hardest of the six-year-old or the drunk you, you know, that would pick it up easier. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, my money's on the six-year-old. <laughs> they'll, they'll have a good time. They'll even add, add yeah, yeah. To, the, to the board. Um, awesome. Uh, so I have another one last softball question for you. Uh, and I always love to end it on softball questions just again, cause it's all going back to nerdy stuff. Uh, question for both of you. What do you think is the most important movie that's come out in the last past five years to you personally? The past five years. Uh, I, I have it. I mean, mine's pretty easy. I think I'm trying to guess. And I mean, I'll give you a hint. It's pretty recent. Okay. Is it the one everything? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's right. Everything everywhere all at once. I think past five years. That's, that's a easy one for me. That's mine too. Oh, is that yours too? Yeah. Why, yeah. why did you like it? I've already talked about it with a couple other guests, but I'd love to hear why you love it. I just, uh, I, it was really emotional. Uh, I mean, I was, I was like, yeah, you were balling. Messed up the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I just, I just felt like it. I'm always looking for something new and um, stories that feel new. And I feel like, especially over the past five years, I really can probably count on one hand the amount of times we've seen a film um, where I have thought, I've mm. never seen anything like that before. It's completely fresh. Um, and, and I think that, 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 um, when something is fresh like that, it does, it does a yeah. lot for me. And then also to have it be so completely compelling. Um, and I, I just thought right. it was perfect, you know, it was, it was compelling, but then really emotional at the same time. And, uh, but, but it was like funny and authentic and weird. And I, I just loved right, it. Right. Yeah. So I I don't know that this is the right answer to this question, but it's, there's no right there's answer. No wrong, there's no wrong answer. I, I don't. I, I think this. I think this might surprise you. But wait, can uh, I guess? I, yeah, but let me explain why I'm picking this movie first. Well, no, okay, no, no, I, no, no. It's not going to give it. Away. I mean, okay. it, it's not necessarily something that I can't think of something right now. It's like, oh man, that was so important to me. But in the way that Jess was affected by that movie, this was a movie, and I think it's it's right around five years ago, maybe less. That I just it grabbed me emotionally more than I ever would have thought. And it's, you know, sometimes I, as I'm getting older, sometimes I'll watch movies and I don't like them. And I don't like them. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not liking movies anymore. And a movie like this comes along where for whatever reason, I was very emotional watching this movie. Do you remember what we watched it here? I think. Oh, well, yeah. Um, Sound of Metal. Yeah. Yeah. So Sound of Metal. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's pretty good. Cause we have, it's not like we've talked about this. But that was a movie that, um, and it's, you know, a lot of just the, the main performer now, of course, his name's escaping. Riz, yeah. Riz Ahmed. Riz, Riz Ahmed, Ahmed. Yeah. yeah. I just found it amazing. And and I, when I think back, and I want to watch it again. I've only seen it once. 
But the whole movie, I was on the verge of crying. It was really powerful to me. And so just like in the same way that you you were, were crying. So, oh, no, I definitely did in it. But there was even yeah. when I wasn't, I was like close to it. There was something that was so affecting to me about that movie. Yeah, that yeah. one got it just like got you. It got me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the uh, I'm the the thing that I'm that I'm thinking also about with everything everywhere all at once the thing that cuz both of us I think had these really emotional reactions to the movie and you reminded yeah. me I think the reason why I felt so emotional with with everything everywhere all at once is because like um I have a sensitivity when people are, I don't know, like older and, you know, and they're, they're like doing something new or, you know, they're, they're like, I think it's just Michelle Yeoh, her whole, her whole journey in that movie where she was just like, because she was stuck in a rut, stuck you know, in a rut, like, and doing the same thing, and and you know suddenly just like had this world opened. Um, it's yeah, that really struck a chord. Yeah, yeah. And then I think sound of metal. I'm trying to think. Like I wonder what it is that that not. I can't put my finger on why that one grabbed me so much. Like, but it <laughs> it really did. Like just from the get go, all the way through. But I think it's almost. It's in some ways, it's like in the opposite of everything everywhere all once like you have every you yeah, have and your it's taken away day and then it's taken yeah, away yeah, it's and, interesting. and you know i think that you always have a real reaction with like having something taken from you you know you're always your freedom you're always <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. have a lot of emotions but I, I know that. i thought yeah. the movie was just also so well made i thought he was so great in it yeah it was just really powerful to me but yeah, yeah I haven't heard you cry as much in that movie since. Since what? The Notebook? No, oh no! Between the Notebook <laughs> and in the theater, in the theater. Up. Yes. Yeah. Up. And up is the I think the saddest ten minutes that first opening of that. Yeah. I up is up is emotional terrorism for the but first time. Just, just yes. all the way through in like the screaming. theater, she was like moaning. <laughs> People were like looking, like, and I'm like, I, I was asking everyone to leave. She's going like. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The last, like the the finale of Everything Everywhere at Once, was really emotionally intense. Like hyperventilating. If you if it gets you, you're gonna be yeah, hyperventilating yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. For me personally, uh, I think the two amazing tenets of what makes Sound of Metal incredible is the sound design, and also if you happen to have somebody in your life who's hard of hearing or fully deaf, um, or you or yourself are hard of hearing or fully deaf. Um, uh, well, at least just hard of hearing, then especially with that, then you will really relate to that. Um, one of my exes uh, was hard of hearing and to experience a movie where you're literally hearing what it sounds like to experience life that way. And not in a like a, a pity way, but just in a, you know, realizing all the emotional roller coasters, like the things you take for granted. Um, and frankly, that's with anybody of any sort of disability is that like you're thinking outside yourself of like, what is life going to be like once I'm you know, not able to interact with the world in the same way I used to. So some people are born that way. Some people um, like in the movie develop that. Um, But in any case, it's always important to think outside of yourself and develop empathy. And that's the power of cinema to me is thinking outside of yourself and experiencing a a character's life in a different way. So So can we ask you what your movie is? Well, he said everything everywhere. Oh, it is also that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hear you say that. So what is it? it? I'm just, I'm sorry. I don't know if we're on the time (laughs) thing, but I your your take on it yeah so i mean there's there's like little tiny things that i think are really amusing to me about the daniels and like the the way that they they sneak things into the movie so i didn't really notice it until everything everywhere at once but uh, in going back and watching swiss army man um you kind of notice that like they really have a thing for like weird outdated technology yeah. and then you watch everything everywhere at once they all have bluetooth ear like ear yeah. things <laughs> The fact that like there's always like this weird like lo-fi portion to everything and yet they're dealing with like multiverse stuff yeah. in the same way that marvel is but it's like this weird knockoff like literally dollar store store multiverse version <laughs> yeah. and yet somehow it's more power like more powerful and impactful um the symbolism of um the googly eye and versus the bagel and that you're you're basically calling to the yin yang of the darkness and the light um, in two different ways of the black circle and the and the white outline and you know in inverse 
in both ways. So I love that stuff, like the like just subtle visual nods like that. But also like it's an emotional roller coaster. I think they fumbled the ending a little bit. I think it was a little bit too long, but I think it's a incredible emotional journey. Um, and to me, that movie is what that it's a that movie was a reminder of why I love film and why uh, that that's a film nerds film <laughs> yeah. for sure. So that's that's why I love that movie because it's I, like movies should make you feel this intense about every single thing. Maybe not all the time because you right. might you know <laughs> another four boxes of Kleenex and <laughs> some more therapy. But yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think you're totally right on it. Also, I mean, I loved it obviously, but like there was a moment where it's like that's where it should end. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Remember I know. Thinking I know that, that moment. Yeah, and I loved it, it too. Perfect. And I thought there were actually there were two or three places where I remember thinking it could have ended. Yeah. I'm not saying I was glad it did or that I, I wish it had. I mean, I'm glad it kept going, but there were a couple places where I was like, Oh, that, that would work I, right there. I think they were just, they were falling in love with the characters, you yeah. know? And, um, yeah. But, but I, yeah. yeah, I think there is a lack of awareness for the audience in terms of like, you've already slam dunked it. Like when you got into the point, cause to me, the center of the emotional roller coaster is, um, uh, between Michelle Yeoh's character and then her daughter. I'm blanking on the actress's name. I apologize. I'll pull it up later. Um, but that is a central core to it. And like finding out that the villain of the whole story is the daughter and just like yeah. <laughs> that it all comes back to the fact that like, you know, she's fighting through the traditions of her family and the way that her father treated her and her expectations yeah. and breaking the family trauma and cycle of realizing that the only way that she can save her daughter is fixing herself first and yeah. then allowing her daughter to be herself in the way that she wants to and accepting her. So there's yeah. so many layers that like, there's just, <laughs> there's so many layers. And I think that's why that's how that movie hit because like something else would hit and I'd just be like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, and then the mother daughter relationship thing, you know, that, that is, uh, that is what really got me uh, quite a bit. So yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Actually, uh, sorry, one more really quick. <laughs> Retroactively, another movie in 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 my past that struck me in a similar way uh, was the Royal Tenenbaums, like just the dynamic, mm. the family dynamic stuff. Oh. But um, but that was when I was I was like yeah, you know yeah. I don't know twenty three or something. So I don't think it's it's the same way now. But at that time, at that time, I think I was just like. I make All right, here's here's movie. a here's a quiz for you, <laughs> just to see if my wife knows me. A movie, I guess, probably ten years ago. If I talk about like a father son relationship and like the end of his life, kind of what movie? Uh, the end of the end of the father's life. Well, you know, because it was after my father passed away. Yeah. What movie hit me? I mean, I loved the movie. Oh, she's failing. No, I'm just trying I to remember it. it. Ten ten. Because it was more than 10 years ago. Then my parents passed away, yeah. But it, I think the movie came out somewhere like 2012 or something. I don't know. 2012? You know what it is. You love this movie, too. I'm sure I do. Talking but... Dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, the my beginners. God. The Beginners. <laughs> so that movie, yeah. that movie is the first movie I've ever... I, my father passed away. My parents passed away probably four or five years before this. Yeah. Uh, before they saw this. But I'd never seen a movie really handle the way real people... Yeah. act and feel after there's a death and it just seemed or at least uh, my family the way my brother and, and sister who my brother and sister handled it it was it, it really hit home i yeah. love the movie but it was it was also hard to watch but it was good well yeah because it would like it went through it went through like itemizing things so you know there were there were yeah. these moments in it that are very real parts of losing somebody um that you don't often see in film because it's like not very sexy yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but there were, it was like this montage of itemizing things. And I mean, most of the time when you see somebody, uh, father passes away, the next scene is this huge funeral, everyone in yeah, black. Exactly. And I, you know, we didn't have that. We were, you know, we, yeah, we just, uh, had to deal with it and oh. that was it. Yeah. You know, that was, that was, that was such a great movie. A good movie. Recommend that movie. Oh my very gosh. Highly. We should watch, we should just watch these all in a row. God, if we are ready for one devastating day. Yeah. Up. Just start with up and move yeah. up. To like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Batteries not included. Oh yeah, that's yours. Uh, okay, what's my kid one as a oh, crush? The champ, I know yeah. that. 
<laughs> Incredible. So it's it's very obvious that uh, us three could talk about movies until yeah, the past. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you should come over after this. We're gonna right, invite right. you over. We'll keep going. Keep going. We'll, we'll have now. a movie queued up for you. Come on over. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's why I love coming to Movie Cat because you know it's it's where film lovers go to nerd out. So. Yeah tons of fun and speaking of which uh jess and brian thank you so much for your time uh is there anything that you'd like to plug in your life perhaps movie cat and other things uh before we take off well we should definitely plug movie cat so movie cat is going to be at central cinema uh in seattle on july wednesday july 20th at 7 p.m and, and there'll be another one in August, but I don't think we know the date of that one. I usually it's usually towards it. the uh, Wednesday. Like towards the, yeah, if, all, if August 18th is a Wednesday, that's the night it's happening. Yep. And what about anything you know, sandwich hat? Go to go to Oh yeah, if you want if you hat. want your very own fanny pack hat. I don't go? know where it, I put it. Oh, here it is. If you want your own <laughs> fanny pack hat, um, go to sandwichcat.com. There's polo ties. Fanny pack hats, fanny packs, everything you could possibly imagine. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> hats, hats do not look good on me. <laughs> Jess and Brian. Uh, no, nope. okay. Oh, yeah. I think so. <laughs> Jess and Brian, thank you so much for your time. Well, it was thank you, Nick. Fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Awesome. Everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.